Welcome back, everybody. I have another exciting opportunity to speak to an actor who's an up-and-coming actor. He's been on a ton of stuff already. Uh, he's an actor. He's a musician. He's a dancer. He's a self-proclaimed uh, uh, renaissance man, and we're definitely going to uh, explore that. Welcome to the program, Aaron Delvin. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for having me. It's it's my pleasure, and thank you for jumping on, and thank you to... Uh, uh, to Popternative for the uh, for the opportunity to uh, meet Pop somebody. Popternative, Pete. Yep. So we're gonna post Popternative right below here. So please uh, go subscribe to them as well. Yeah. Um, so Aaron, it's it's really it's really fun for me because you know aside from doing my prep on you and looking at your demo reels and looking at some other stuff, I haven't seen you in any of your projects, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, some of them I should be watching, right? Because you've uh, you were an episode of Gotham. And uh, you've done some really cool stuff, um, but I haven't been exposed to it. So this has been a very interesting opportunity for me to kind of dive into things and really uh, see you, um, you know, as with fresh set of eyes, so to speak. So I'm very happy to see that. Awesome, man. Awesome. Um, and looking at your demo reels and uh, again, looking at the work that you've done on the pledge, looking at the work that you've done on duels, uh, I see... Uh, you know, very, very serious actor. And I see somebody who's intense uh, in their delivery. Very good, very believable. I got the character. I didn't have any issues there. But then I look at your background. I see that you also have, you know, Upgrade uh, Citizens Brigade. And I'm thinking, where's the comedy? <laughs> I want to see that comedy aspect. Did you have a chance to uh, to utilize your comedy background or people see you as this intense guy? No, people see me as a goofball as well. Uh, okay. I have a TV show right now on that's a web series that I executive produced actually and started mm -hmm. called Tucci and Jones on YouTube right now where nice. I get to flex my one of my comedic characters and a movie I have coming out I have more comedic aspects in that character I play the comedic relief nice yeah. and if you'll notice in pledge uh, when you watch the movie like uh, uh, Max will have some comedic moments where you know it makes the audience laugh and that's just me flexing my comedic chops a little bit Good. Yeah. I, during the, uh, during the demo reel, I saw that, but it was, it was kind of, you know, because I see the serious character and then I see him smiling and that smile was more like sinister. He's about to kill me type of smile. So it was, yeah. it was that. And I'm like, but okay, I want to see more sites. So I'm glad you're getting a chance to utilize that as well. Well, and, there's a late night with Seth Meyers clip also in the, in the demo yeah. reel. Uh, I, I saw that. That was, that was very cool. Uh, I actually want to ask about that, but we'll come back to it. What's sure. the name of the series that's on YouTube? I want to put a link uh, below. Per, sure. It's called Tucci and Jones. It's based yeah. on my comedic character, Tucci Badaducci. It's called Tucci and Jones. And awesome. Black Wolf's production is the site that's currently hosting it on YouTube. Awesome. All right. We'll find it and we're going to put it uh, right down. So please, uh, everybody, check it out along with uh, with me. I'll certainly go and take a look. Uh, that's very, very cool. Going back to uh, to Seth for a moment. Um, you know, I know Seth does a bunch of uh, the stuff. So that was really cool. How did that opportunity come about for you? I literally just got the audition from a head, I, not the audition. I got the job from a headshot. Oh my God. Literally, literally my agent just reached out. Hey, you've been booked. They're booking off of headshots. That was it. Yeah. I walk into NBC, you've given the script, you're painted like a war boy. Time to go. Yeah. That was such a fun experience that literally no audition necessary, just literally casting off your headshot. That's cool. Uh, I had a few of those, <laughs> nothing to that to that effect. But yeah, uh, be, being in New York uh, helps as well. I'm in Chicago, so we don't. Oh, really I get... just live in Chicago. I lived there for two years. I was with Lily's Talent Agency. Yeah. 
You know, know. yeah, I did my first movie in Chicago actually with uh, Paul Servino. It's called Chasing Gold. Very cool. Where uh, where did you live in Chicago? I lived in Rogers Park. Rogers Park is where I lived. Yeah, I danced with uh, um, Elements Contemporary Ballet. I was auditioning Mm -hmm. for River North and Chicago before that Mm -hmm. injury came that switched me to acting. I know Nick Pupolo at uh, Visceral Dance Chicago. So I love Chicago, especially that, you know, that two weeks of perfect weather during the summer where Wabash, you know, the the, the bridge, just beautiful. It is beautiful. And uh, it's, it, unfortunately, it is kind of true about those two weeks. <laughs> yeah, um, but otherwise than that, it's bitterly cold. Yeah. Ridiculously, ruthlessly cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Rogers Park is, is a great uh, place. You know, in terms of auditioning or in terms of taking classes, uh, Rogers Park is the place to be. You know, a lot of uh, agents are there. A lot of the, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, academies are there. I live about an hour away uh, from Rogers Park without traffic. So uh, So you're up in, um, starts with an L, Linwood, Elkin, something? Uh, You're talking Elgin. Elgin would be more west. I'm north. I'm north. Like, you know, if you're thinking of, uh, if you've ever heard of, uh, you know, where, you know, the Bulls used to train, the Birdo Center, uh, which is in Highland Park and kind of Northbrook area, you keep on going north from there. And then you take, you know, you take a a hit west. And that's that's where I'll be in Vernon Hills. So I'm Mm. northwest suburbs. Put it put it plainly. I am as close to Milwaukee as I am to downtown Chicago. Uh, not mileage-wise, but commute-wise. Mm. So anyway, but that's that's very cool. I'm glad that you had a Chicago experience and uh, you had a chance for those a uh, couple couple of winter, uh, couple of uh, nice weeks. Um, New York looks like nothing compared to those Chicago winters, man. This ain't this ain't it. This ain't anything, you know. I was prepped no. for it. It's it's much warmer in New York. Uh, I remember my wife used to uh, used to fly a lot to uh, to Virginia, and uh, work. Virginia, born and raised. Yeah, I know that. So uh, she was mentioning the weather, and you know it would be winter in Chicago, and she would be going there, and she's like, "Oh my God, it's blooming! I see spring. It's like a whole different season, only a flight away." Uh, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely once you move you know, away from uh, kind of our cold weather and you get into the East Coast, uh, even though, you know, some areas are north of us, you're definitely having a much better, uh, much better environment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going to uh, going to your dancing, I know that, again, you kind of started out in music. Uh, you were playing, uh, you know, tenor sax. Uh, my son, who's about to turn 11, he is playing saxophone right now. He's with alto sax. So I don't know if he's going to move to Tanner uh, later, but for right now, he's out there. Um, I don't think he has any lessons, but if he did, we would be hearing him <laughs> right now all the way from the basement because it's pretty loud any way you do it. So uh, how long did you do uh, Tanner for? Middle and high school. You know, nice. So good, good six years. And uh, did you like it? I mean, was that your first instrument well, of choice? No, it was the only instrument that they had at the band. You know, like... like uh, <laughs> We couldn't afford an alto sax or a tenor sax, so the only one that they had at the school left was a tenor sax. I would have done alto because I was super tiny at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just was lugging around this tenor saxophone. So, yeah, that was all they had. So I said, all right, give me that. <laughs> I guess I'll play tenor. Wow. Well, yeah, you certainly have to grow into, <laughs> grow yeah. into that. I used to play yeah. it with it resting on the side of my ankle, actually. Yeah. 
And it's not an easy instrument to play at all. Uh, you know, my son started with trumpet, and uh, you know, you have you have the three main ones, and then you have a bunch of things that you can do with them. But you know, he graduated uh, to saxophone, and all of a sudden, he's like, anywhere that I place my fingers, I hit something. It took him a while so, to get. I, you know, how you usually play with the thumb underneath at yeah. the bottom. So yeah. I, my arm couldn't even reach down there. So I used to play it like that as opposed to like this with these three, I was playing with three fingers right here, never having a thumb rest underneath. So I learned how to play like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's again, it's a great instrument. So I'm, I'm sure it's, uh, it'll come in handy um, for you, regardless of what it is that you're doing. And then you move to, uh, to dance. So what, um, what style of dance uh, did you start with and then how did you progress from there? Ballet. Actually, no, I started with hip hop. And I got into ballet. So I started as a hip-hop dancer because I loved growing up listening to hip-hop music. I was heavily influenced by that, by yeah. the genre. And I fell into ballet and the jazz, uh, everything but tap, you know, I've done everything but tap. Yeah. And then, uh, so ballet <clears throat> kind of took over and then uh, you continued doing that until the injury? Yeah, ballet took over and I literally got really serious. I was a serious bunhead. I had the whole bandana. I had the shorts on. I had the cutoff shirts. I was like the bad boys of ballet. That was my thing. Yeah. yeah. And I'm surprised, right? So, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to step back for a second because there are, you know, every generation there is its own show that's with ballet kids. So, uh, you know, were you, uh, were you a part of any of those shows? Uh, uh and get a chance dance to moms you mean yeah i no. I, was, I was a what not dance moms I'm, I'm talking about um you know center stage was earlier on and then the next generation now is meet me in Paris or find me in paris you know there are these kind of uh teen you know ballet uh type of uh you know movies or series that are going on that um uh, i've enjoyed again i'm, I'm certainly older but uh, kind of growing up and, and watching those because i was into dance as well uh, not uh, not delay for me, but uh, it was very cool to watch. I would say yes, a little bit of both actually, because center stage is a more professional look. You know, a dance. Uh, what is it? Dance moms is a little more competition right. dance studio kind of thing. I no. was involved in both. I first started in the competition dance mom sort of dance studio thing where you show up in their you know competitions and stuff and we're working our tails off for these like $15 plastic trophies that say our name on it you know diamond platinum you know whatever kind of frills and stuff people right. mom forking out all these money I modeled for like Wolf and Fording catalog dance catalog too and then I got into the governor school for the arts which is a you know rigorous training program for people serious about a career in the arts in high school a lot of people, you know, Adrian Warren, Grant Gustin, these kind of people went to the Governor's School for the Arts and studied there. So I went to go study there for music and then transitioned into the dance. And that was more the center stage, you know, classical Graham technique, classical Hawkins technique, classical ballet, uh, that sort of thing. That's where my serious training went on. That's very cool. Um, again, I, it's, you know, growing up in the former Soviet Union, ballet was, uh, was a part of the vernacular since birth. Uh, it was not something that I pursued, but we were always, you know, taught about great ballet and mm -hmm. uh, go watch it. And, you know, Swan Lake is something that I probably became familiar with when I was five. <laughs> so it's uh, it's great. Uh, we tried to introduce our kids to it. And my daughter did uh, rhythmic gymnastics and ballet was a part of the curriculum for rhythmic. So she kind of 
went there and then she went into dance, but she wanted to more uh, kind of contemporary jazz, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to ballroom dance, which was mine uh, when I was a kid. I did the ballroom dancing. My son just loves hip hop and he doesn't want to take classes. He just wants to freestyle all the time. So sure. we'll see what happens. Um, and that was me. I liked freestyling all the time. I said I'd never take ballet, and then I got into ballet, and boom! Several years later, I'm trying to pursue a career. I'm pursuing a career in ballet. So you never know. Never say never. I I don't. Yeah, it's um, from my perspective now, kind of as a as a parent, uh, and I have a 16 and 11 year old. Um, it's I'm basically telling my kids all the time, if you're passionate about something, I'm going to support you. I don't care what it is. Uh, obviously, hopefully, it's not something that's going to be, you know, detrimental to your health. But you know, show me that you're passionate. Show me that this is something you're going to do on your own, and you want to work hard at. And I'm going to support you. So, kind of the road is is open for them. And I keep looking. You know, uh, I grew up playing tennis, uh, and I wanted my son to go in tennis. He started, and he seems to love it. But I'm not pushing. I, I want to see that, you know, internal drive. And once that kicks in, then I'm all for it. Smart man. Yeah. Uh, You've mentioned injury, right? So, uh, you know, what uh, what happened and uh, how did you transition from, you know, uh, from dance into acting? Well, I, I was the, I'm the type of guy who would push myself to exhaustion. So hmm. while I was at Nashville Ballet, I pushed myself to exhaustion. I should have been resting, but... I got a nasty case of shin splints, like really bad case of shins. And those can be, they can take you out of the game. Mm -hmm. So I came down, I had the CAD, the air cast on. Then I went to go audition for different companies across the country. Mm -hmm. I went to go audition for Orlando Ballet, didn't find my place there. Went to go audition for a place in Portland, Oregon, didn't find my place there. Went to Chicago, started finding my place. And then while I was auditioning for River North in Chicago, I hopped over a turnstile with my friend when we were partying one night and I sprained my ankle. It's like, I know, it's not even in dance. It's literally just outside of dance. It's funny because dancers will make a joke about how they injure themselves not doing dance. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm on crutches recovering from the sprained ankle and he's they call me and they're literally like, we want to offer you the job. And I was like, oh man, well, I, I'm, I just hurt myself and stuff. And that didn't pan out. So I remember coming home to where I where I lived and uh, I was actually roommates with Justin Michael Cornwell and he's known for training day. He's known for mm -hmm. the medium uh, in the middle, the, the, the middle, in the middle, the middle end, the in between, the in between the other NBC show. Him mm -hmm. and I were roommates in Chicago and I lived on this mattress, slept, you know, worked out, lived out of two suitcases. And I said, what the hell am I going to do? I jump on Craigslist and I said, screw it, I'll act. And I literally just started submitting for anything I could find. You know, then that led to an agent that led to my first dinner theater show. I did a di dinner theater show called Dinner with the Family, you know, for like an audience of 10, you know. <laughs> and you just hustled and you just hustled and then people referred you and then you met people. And then I got scouted by a manager from my website in New York. And I said, I dropped everything. I said, screw it. Let's do it. Let's take a chance. Flew to New York and then lived in a house with like 10 guys in Jersey City. That turned into a house with five guys. And then I moved into the city with a roommate. And then I finally had my own apartment several years ago. And that's where I am now. And I've just been hustling ever since. 
Wow. So your acting uh, career uh, kind of started in Chicago. That's very cool to know. My acting career definitely started in Chicago. Right. Good. Then we'll introduce you as the Chicago actor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Aaron. Uh, very cool. Yeah. I, all all about hustle, right? Uh, you you have to you have to go and you have to start uh, anywhere. I started with student films and uh, kind of just tiny little roles and continued uh, climbing from there. So it's. Uh, you know, if you don't hustle and you're just waiting for uh, for doors to open, they usually won't. Um, Facts, man. I remember starting in background, you know? Yeah. 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 It didn't uh, matter. That was a paycheck at the time. Whatever. That's true. And a lot of people do it. And I, um, I remember, again, because Chicago is a much smaller market uh, and, you know, we have our core shows, uh, thankfully, now I was very specifically told, listen, be careful with the background because if you're appearing on Chicago Fire as a background actor and they happen to see you, you're not going to be a part of that universe for a couple of years. And I didn't allow myself to do any of that. Uh, I, I wanted to, you know, have my co-star or, you know, hopefully guest star opportunities later. And I never did background any of the Chicago shows just to make sure that that path is open. Good man, bro. Good man. Yeah. No, but I get it. You know, I get it uh, having to make a living. I have a career. I have something that was supporting me. So this was in addition to trying to transition to it. I didn't have to do things, uh, you know, just to survive, as it sounded like that's what you had to do. I totally uh, respect that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, you know, in New York, right? So you're getting your bearings. Uh, things are starting to happen for you. What, uh, again, I've seen kind of uh, things on IMDb Pro starting in 2011 or somewhere in there, 2013, 2014, but kind of where, you know, where do you feel like you got to a point where you said, okay, this is mine and I'm going to continue uh, growing from there, but I feel like I'm an actor and this is my uh, profession. 2015. Okay. That was when I got serious. Mm-hmm. That was when I got sober. That's when you got sober. Okay. Right. That's when things got clicked into serious mode. Hmm. What made you make that switch? Because for somebody to go from not being sober to making that decision to turn their life in a different direction, that could be a you know big big thing uh, to take. What led you to that point? And a mentor kind of saved my life. And a mentor kind of saved my life. I met him at an acting workshop. He was the, the coach. And then I started, he was also teaching therapy. And I went through therapy and uh, he really kind of cleared the, the path for the universe to send me what it's been waiting to send me. Mm -hmm. So, and I realized that that's the first thing that comes in my life. As long as I stay grounded in my career, I'm going to have what I want. If I don't, then I'm not going to have what I want. Mm -hmm. So. I give I give um, immense amount of gratitude to uh, to the man who saved my life, uh, James Bonney. Yeah, well, thank you, James, and uh, good for you for accepting it, right? Because we have many people that come into our lives that will tell us and point to the right uh, direction, but it's really up to us to actually accept it and do something about it. You got that. You got to let go of the ego. You know yeah. that ego is everything. Um, the highest level of actors, you know, they, they are able to let go of that ego and be completely vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, anything that of worth that people want to see and people really uh, attach to audience wise, mm -hmm. it, it's got to be without the ego. 
it's egoless. So. Mm. Oh, good for you. That's uh, interesting. It shows the strength of your character and resolve, and that's that's a lot of respect there. Good. Yeah. Um, all right. So you uh, you made that switch, but again, you you've been working towards it. You've taken different uh, classes. You've been to all sorts of uh, schools. Um, now you know five years later. Uh, having been on some uh, some shows and having done uh, things and been uh, you know regular and uh, and uh, some really good uh, kind of parts, um, what do you feel your approach is right now as an actor? What works for you on set? Um, taking it one day at a time, more so than taking it one. Day at a time. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. Sometimes for me, it's taking one moment at a time making sure that I stay calm and stay grounded, listening, staying open to direction, being moldable. When I get on set, I come as prepared as I can be. If I've got my lines or whatever and stuff, I've done so much work that literally I just show up and I present myself to whatever's happening on set and I just stay open to the thing that we're creating. You know, I don't try to fight it or, or get in arguments with people, petty stuff, you know, or don't worry about the petty stuff. And it's also remembering when you walk on a set. And I did a movie recently uh, called All Those Small Things. You know, they treat you like gold. It's remembering where I came from, too, and being like, yo, having immense gratitude for being on that set. And literally, people want to do a movie. People love would love to do a movie and you get the chance to do it like that's huge what what problems do you have right it's just yeah. that gratitude it's it's keeping gratitude that's that's my biggest thing when, when working it's great uh i'm writing this down because it's definitely going to be uh uh associated with the name uh, of this uh, of this segment uh gratitude i love, I, love I hope we can inspire some people I hope so too. Gratitude is so, so important. Again, my life as well. And you see everything that's happening around the world. You see all of the um, things that people have to go through. And sometimes we are so micro in our own life and what we're trying to accomplish and what we are able to or unable to accomplish as quickly as we want it to happen to be able to have the gratitude for what we actually have and what got us there and all of the blessings that we have in our lives it's it's a really important moment so i think like even a moment of gratitude a day will uh, will keep you on the right path so however that you know long that moment may be for everybody that meditation man i get on my knees in the morning and i pray and i say thank you you know i think about whenever i start thinking about myself too much or like oh i need this why don't i have this I think to myself, hmm, what am I grateful for? Hmm. I'm alive. I got food. I'm in New York. I'm doing my dream. I'm yeah. living my life. I'm doing what I love. You know, I mean, you just got to, it's all perspective, you know, because I can find myself a lot of time comparing my life to other people's exteriors, you know, their social networks and stuff. I appear, I compare my inner feelings to someone's outer appearances. Like social media, it's all about that highlight reel. Everything's great all the time. And that's not the reality. That's not life. Life is messy. You know. Uh, and it's 
it's an incredible thing to understand. And, uh, you know, some people realize this early on. Some people, it, it comes with age. Uh, some people never get it. But you, not you specifically, but, you know, people in general, um, what you have to realize is that everybody, no matter what they may seem like, everybody is dealing with their own shit, with their own shit. Um, everybody has some sort of a problem that you just would not know about because they don't share it. I'm speaking to actors. I'm speaking to incredibly successful, you know, gorgeous uh, uh, people who people looking at and what I aspire to be. And what they don't realize is that this person had a stroke and almost died. This person is dealing with constant pain. This person, you know, had incredible trauma uh, in their life uh, and had abuse in their life. We don't know anything that's happening, but it's a part of every individual's journey to deal with something. I have my shit that I'm dealing with, and 100% of the time, somebody's dealing with theirs. So to compare yourself to an outward expression of somebody who you don't know is a wasteful exercise for everybody involved. I agree. You sound like David Foster Wallace. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it's brilliant, man. Tragic scenario, man. You know, he took his own life. And I see that. And um, I, I'm the, uh, I always thought of myself as the eternal optimist of everything kind of uh, just, you know, let go and be happy and be grateful. But man, life uh, gives you a uh, shit to handle. And, right, right. Uh, and how do you handle it? That determines but, your character, what you do. Yeah. And for me, that uh, my biggest, you know, kind of curse and a blessing has been uh, the feeling that I'm meant for greatness. And the uh, early on, uh, I think pretty young, I, I always kind of had a sense that I'm here for something. Uh, I'm here for something that inspires humanity and that does something on a macro level. And then uh, my brother went you know, to uh, to a woman who's a psychic uh, in Israel uh, and, you know, talking about something completely different. And she asked to show the family. He showed my photo and she said, mm, that's a great man. And he told me that. And all of these kind of internal and external ideas of I meant for something great took me on a path that has kept me being driven but you're driving yourself to the point of going off a cliff because you keep on searching for what is it that I'm going to be great at. And you're trying this and you're trying that and you're trying this and you're trying that. And this seems like it's going to work and you get excited and it's your passion and then nobody cares. And you're like, okay, it's not it. All right, let's go. Let's do another thing. And it gets you to a point where you are constantly in that state of change then your relationships and your life and everything gets negatively affected by it. So you have to know who you are, no matter how uh, optimistic you may seem. But when I saw Pippin on stage, uh, uh, I think a year ago, that hit me hard because I saw myself right there. And uh, I, I can understand why people who are driven, who are, you know, single-minded uh, in their pursuit of something, um, if they don't find a balance and don't find satisfaction elsewhere, that's a difficult existence. 
Yeah, you know, otherwise I put, I used to put all my happiness and I still find myself doing this today, yeah. putting all my happiness in whether or not I'm working as an actor or if I'm getting press or if I'm getting all the blah, blah BS yeah. that I think makes me happy. If I put all my eggs into that providing my happiness, I'm always going to be on a roller coaster of emotions. And yet, the reality is that most people don't care until because they're dealing with their own shit. But then in my mind, I'm like, why don't you care? But they're just dealing with their own shit. But then suddenly they care when you do something that warrants enough attention. And all of a sudden, everybody cares. But they only care because you've done something that pulls them out of their own shit that, that grabs their attention. So yeah. Everyone's dealing with their own shit at the end of the day. Yep. Um you can't put your happiness all into the to the, the results the results of it. You have to fall in love with the process. You have to fall in love with the journey, or else it, it, it it's a marathon. This is a marathon. This is a marathon. Yeah, and don't worry about the outcome. We're so outcome based. We're so uh, results based. It's all about the outcome. Even auditions, it's all about did I get the job? Stop thinking about that. You love what you do. You love acting. Brian Cranston talks about it. You love what you do. You walk into the room. You present what you have to offer, and you walk away. The result is none of your business. Really, let it go. Because you did that. You have an opportunity for those two minutes. That's really what it is. For those two minutes, that's you acting. You have an opportunity to act in front of an audience. That's it. Everything on top of that is a bonus. And I know that sounds cliche, and I know some people who are saying, you know, screw you, man, I'm trying to pay my bills. And I get it. But if you want to combine uh, financial success with acting happiness, you're going to be in trouble. And very, very few people actually do that. You have to uncouple those. Uh, and you just have to do it because you love it. Generally, the financial success in acting comes after the love of it. Right. It's because you're you love it and you're good at it that that warrants financial success as opposed to the other way around. It's one of those weird industries that it's like that. You know, it's not like one of those linear industries that says I go to four years of college to get a degree so that I can make this amount of money, then make this amount of money next year, then work with a company for 20 years and get raises. No, this trajectory, you could go 20 years with nothing and all of a sudden, boom. You're the top of the food chain. It's yep. not a linear path. Yeah. And just because you were on top of that uh, food chain does not mean that you're going to get any other opportunities. Not exactly. It doesn't mean you're going to stay on the top of the food chain. Right. You could go, what, I listen to those actor round tables, tables and uh, I think it was Dennis Quaid. He was talking about how he went 18 months without work one time. And they were like, yo, how did you do that? He said, you just get through it. You just do it. Mm -hmm. 18 months, year and a half. And, and that's why you have to have other interests outside of acting. Doesn't mean that you're not serious about acting. It just means that you have a life and that acting is a part of that life. It's not the entire life. It's um, a job, you know, like you just so happen to get paid because you do movies or you do something. It's like if I were to work at McDonald's, you get paid because you work at McDonald's. You get paid because you do movies. That's your job. So just do your job. Yeah. And then go home and do something else. And don't, Right. Don't... Go home, do something else. And that's why the music has kind of 
-hmm. helped me take the pressure off you know because i was putting my all my passion into acting and like everything my happiness is about acting mm -hmm. and then i started finding music and well I, well retapping into the music that i found that was already in me and i said let me start putting this out there and now it helps take the pressure off of when i get these auditions that i really want where i'm like oh i need this part i want this part it lets me let go do my job and have the universe either send it to me or it's not meant for me and if the universe doesn't send it to me that means that god's got something bigger for me down the line i completely agree with that and whether people think that that's just a psychological trick it doesn't matter because it works it works it works my sanity because i'll tell you right now when i'm in my head when i yeah. am thinking about oh and acting out of fear and oh i need to do this my this oh i need to go over here i need to get a new this i didn't do that i'm just crazy and spinning out of control and i cannot bring my best work to the table right it's a spiritual um, thing this whole thing is a spiritual i think acting is a spiritual experience i agree. You gotta make sure that your spirit is riding on a higher vibrational level uh, you're going to keep attracting those positive things for the energy for the for the universe. You really you really do attract it's magnetism. You attract what you put out. Uh, and you do. And that's that's the thing, right? Because the lens sees into your soul. It sees your through your eyes. And we're we're not in theater. This is screen. And in screen, every little minute detail is available to the viewer. So what you are inside and the energy that you are expressing is visible and it's going to get noticed. And I, I speak to so many actors who reach what they call the fuck it moment uh, and they go to an audition and they don't care and they just either have fun or they do whatever they want to do and they do whatever feels right and then they start getting stuff when they remove all of the other stuff away and they're just being themselves that's when it works it's so funny and so interesting and so frustrating to uh to hear look at what does that say uh don't give a fuck yep there you there go. We go what does that say yep that's that's it it's it's not it's it's not giving it's not get, not giving a fuck about your work it's you obviously care it's not giving a fuck about the result of the outcome of the yeah. audition and that's yeah that's where the magic starts happening yeah and they um, feel that because every other actor is going to walk in that room most of them and be fucking desperate and wanting the casting director to like them and wanting it to go perfectly how they planned it and i think most of the time casting directors are literally like oh my god please come in and show me something authentic please fuck up the scene maybe and show us something real and bob Krakauer said that he said you're all you're all praying that you walk into the audition and do exactly what you planned we're playing that something happens that's not what you planned yeah i i agree with that completely because they're seeing so many people especially on self-tape i mean there are thousands of submissions and it, then it gets narrowed down and you're still going to be at a ton of submissions and Bro, it's crazy like i got i went out for this show the boys they saw 10 and i'm friends with the cast he was like yo we saw ten thousand people for that yeah 
10,000 people, this one I just booked, they saw seven, they watched, looked at 700 people. And then out of those 700 submissions, then they pick a few people to audition. And then mm-hmm. from the audition, they narrow it down and then narrow it down. They're, they're, dude, it's, and that's what people don't get is the fact that you get selected to an audition that already means that they like you that's Just, huge that's huge you get an opportunity to audition that's huge you should say if you get a call back god if you get a call back you should celebrate <laughs> i freaked out when i had a check avail i'm like right. are you kidding me i got a check yeah. avail yeah right so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just have but fun. It's a daily reminder. Tell me, I gotta daily remind myself this, especially when I get into modes where I want it too bad and stuff. My, you know, yeah. I gotta tell myself to come back down. It doesn't matter. <laughs> my my rep, she's funny. I, I was, she was like, yeah, well, you're on hold with this thing, and I say, well, we get it, we get it, whatever. And then she was like, what have you done with Aaron? Because I'm usually the guy's like, can we check? Can we, you know, email them and say whatever? Like she wanted it. I just auditioned for something through her. And she was like, you know, I thought about emailing them and being like, you know, he's thinking about cutting his hair for the da-da-da-da-da. And I said, Terry, no, you just want to hear, you want to hear if they, they if like we're in the running. I said, no, if they if they want me, that they'll reach out. It's fine. Yeah. It's it's a much healthier place to be. Kind of so much healthier. Oh my God. Because otherwise. Your head, actor or not, your head is the worst place you can be. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm there. Uh, my check avail was for a recurring guest star role on a limited Showtime series with Ethan Hawke. Oh. And, you know, I'm the guy that hasn't had a co-star role on any of the Chicago shows yet. And, you know, here's a show in Virginia, right? So this uh, the Showtime series that got shot uh, obviously didn't get it. So I'm Doesn't getting. Matter. You made an right. impact on the casting director. Right. But they kept on bringing me back, and they kept on bringing me back, and I kept on submitting from different roles, and they kept on bringing me back, and then I got a check of ale. And then at some point, your head goes, oh, okay. So I'm going to be not just in the same scene as Ethan Hawke, potentially, but I'm going to be one of the main people in the scene with Ethan Hawke. And then your head goes in all sorts of directions to fuck everybody i've made it and i've proved you wrong to am i good enough as an actor to actually handle it of can i thinking about every little thing you did in the audition and if you still have the tape god forbid re-watching your tape and trying to like whatever it's kind of like whenever we go into the room and audition for something we immediately the moment we leave we try to think about everything we did in the audition and then yep. we reenact it in the elevator to make ourselves feel better. That yep. does nothing. What yep. does that do but besides make you feel better about whatever? No, it's crazy. That's crazy. I. That's why, like, when people would call and actors do this too, I'm like, you know that this this is not something we should be doing to each other. But when actors say, well, how did the audition go? I don't know. I don't want to think about it. I did the audition. I want to forget about it. I want to move on with my life. And if somebody wants that to That might just be your friends just checking in on you and keeping tabs on you. Yeah. And being like, this is where you are right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe be a, maybe next time they call and you know what they're calling about, maybe you don't answer their call. I, yeah. After the audition. Sorry, I'm busy. 
Yeah, after the audition, I don't want to answer anybody's call unless it's my representation. I don't want to. Right. Have a routine after your auditions. Go do something else. Yeah. Go put your mind into something else. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a crazy, crazy uh, thing that we're getting ourselves into. It's insane. It's, and you know what's great? Ethan Hawke was in the same position. Ethan Hawke didn't become Ethan Hawke overnight. Right. I, it's, and you know what? Even at Ethan Hawke's level, he's still got to work. You mm -hmm. know, he's still got competition. Then it becomes like, oh man, do we go with Ethan Hawke or Colin Farrell for this role? <laughs> right. You know, like, uh, yeah. Um, it's it's ridiculously fun. So that brings into like, who's the you know biggest name for you that you have worked with that you stepped on set that you had to put that part of you of oh shit i'm working with this person aside and just do the work um i'm actually pretty good at handling that you know good. like when i worked with paul savina i didn't know who he was and i, I kind of prefer that i prefer not to know who the actor is or be a big fan of them so when i work with them i don't freak out you know what i mean yeah. Um, it might have been some one of the off, like one offs that I did where I was like, "Oh shit, I'm working with this person." <laughs> um, now nah, James Faulkner was cool. Lance was cool. Teal, a T, I guess Tia Leone because I'd seen Madam Secretary, you know. Right. Yeah, but she was mad cool. Like I, they're mad cool, and honestly, none of them want you to be like. Oh my God, you're so and so. It was a pleasure, you know. Oh my God, no. You just want to be like, hey, what's up? I'm so and so. Yeah. You know, because they're working with me too. You know, yeah. you know, like I gotta have a, you know, an actor has to be egoless, but also an actor has to have an ego about, them. and be like, hey, I'm Aaron Delavilla. Very nice to meet you. You yeah. know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm pretty good at uh at handling that. There, I luckily has not been a situation where yet where I'm like. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm kind of starstruck. Yeah. Well, that's and that's good. I remember again, first interview I, I did was with Michael Kostroff, uh, you know, The Wire. He's done a ton of stuff. And he said, you know, working with Robert De Niro was one of those. It's like they Yeah. If I worked with De Niro, yeah, then I would be a little like like if I worked with De Niro or Daniel Day or Leo, I'd be like, holy shit, bro, I'm about to work with De Niro. I'd have and, to like call myself, you know what I mean? And that's that's where, and you'll you'll get to, to that point, and you know maybe this will be helpful to you uh, then. What uh, what Michael is saying is that look, you know when Robert De Niro, who's a really really good genuine human being, when he's outside and he has people, you know, saying, hey Robert, you know I loved you in this, he knows that kind of he needs to uh, put himself in a bit of a bubble because that's that world but once he's on set he's with actors he can be himself and he can focus on the work if you're coming in as the fan as opposed to the actor you're coming into a space that throws everything off you have to understand that you belong there you're there for a reason and you know go be a fan in your trailer afterwards but when you're there you have to let them be themselves and you can't let all of that stuff uh, come with you it's that um, it's that imposter mentality. I think yeah. that's what it comes out yeah. too, where you're like, oh my yeah. God, I'm working with so and so, 
I'm learning to get over that and just be like, yo, they're just people who have been successful yeah. at this career. Right. Yeah. Um, doing doing the show, right? You know, uh, before May 20th, I'm, I'm still the same Alan. After May 20th, I start interviewing people who I've been watching on screen for 20 years. And certain people, you kind of get like, am I, you know, this, it, okay. And then, but that dissipates so quickly because once the taping starts, uh, thankfully there is a part of me that just, you know, it's it's a person to person thing and I don't care. And I'm, uh, I just want to know about them and their experience so I can learn and people watching this can learn. And then going back and thinking, okay, I have the call with, you know, so-and-so, how the fuck do I have their phone number? You know, where three months ago, nobody knew that I existed. So there is that part. Thankfully, it doesn't happen during the show and, you know, a little bit after it <laughs> on, the, on rare occasion. But you you kind of, you get to the point. The more you do it, the easier it becomes and then it becomes uh, just a normal thing. So anyway, um, very, very uh, cool. I I really appreciate you jumping on. I love talking to you. I wish you all the best. Uh, you you have the right attitude and you have uh, you know the right tools, which is just as important to keep you on that uh, on that road to success. So best of luck, Aaron. I, I'm pulling for you, but thank you, Alan. To you as well, man. Thank you. Thank you, and uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in into another episode of the Love of Acting. We know you love it as much as we do, and that's why we enjoy doing this for you. Thank you. Thank you.